We all know there are times when you don't have many choices in who you work with, like when a pipe bursts and you need a plumber right now. But when it comes to your mental health, you should have choices so you don't get stuck with a therapist who can't remember what you tell them every week. To find a good therapist for you, try ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including thousands of mental health providers. We're talking about therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments, either online or in person. I use this, and you should too. Go to ZocDoc.com stronger and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash stronger. ZocDoc.com slash stronger. On today's episode of Mentally Stronger, since we're coming into New Year's resolution season, I thought maybe you could dive into why. Why do we all set New Year's resolutions and why do they almost never work? Oh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I think there's a cultural wave in January. Like I've tried to sell New Year's resolution, like goal kind of stuff in July does not sell. Um, you don't sell like heart-shaped boxes of chocolate in July either. Go figure. So I think there's a lot of cultural pressure to do a New Year's resolution. We're like, we're doing it. Everybody's talking about it. So I think that's why we feel that the chance to, I think the calendar's powerful. It's that new year, uh, you know, kind of a fresh start. And then why they fail, I think there's a lot of reasons. One is they're not the right goals to begin with. So we, you know, we read up a blog. I'm Amy Morin, psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and an international best-selling author of five books on mental strength. Every Monday, I introduce you to a guest whose story and expertise can inspire you to think, feel, and do your best in life. And the fun part is we record it all from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. So I'm super excited this week. It's book launch week. 13 Things Mentally Strong Couples Don't Do goes on sale on December 26th. I'm going to spend the week in Maine visiting my family. And while I'm there, I get to see it on the shelves in my old hometown. This is my first relationship book. I knew I wanted to write it because our relationships certainly impact our mental strength. One thing that makes this book different from a lot of other relationship books is I knew that more often than not, one partner will read it and the other partner might not have any interest in it at all. And that's okay. I wrote it in a way that it will help whoever reads the book create positive change, even if your partner isn't on board. And I explain that in the book. I introduce you to a lot of people who change their relationship and sometimes I never even met the other partner. You can go out and you can buy a copy of 13 Things Mentally Strong Couples Don't Do wherever books are sold. And if you buy it today, before 1226, you still get to take advantage of the pre-order bonus, a free month of therapy at BetterHelp. Just go to my website, amymorinlcsw.com couples to get the details or click on the link in the show notes. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Do you struggle to set realistic goals for yourself? When you do set goals, do you have trouble sticking to them? Do you have a lot of dreams that you struggle to turn into action? 
If so, today's episode is for you. I'm talking to John Acuff. He's one of my favorite authors. He's a New York Times bestseller who's written books like Quitter, Start, and Soundtracks. And now he's got another amazing book called All It Takes is a Goal, which happens to also be the name of his podcast. One of the things I love about John is that he researches his books really well, but he is able to present all of the information in a really fun way. You'll hear what I mean in a minute when you hear him talk. But his book is one of the best books I've ever read on goal setting. So I was thrilled to be able to talk to him now so that we can get this out there right before New Year's and hopefully save a lot of people from making failed resolutions this year. Some of the things he talks about are how to set a goal you'll be more likely to reach, how to deal with setbacks and mistakes, and how to increase your chances of success. And make sure to stick around until the end for the therapist take, where I'll give you my take on John's strategies and share how you can apply them to your life today. So here's John Acuff on how to create a goal that will change your life. John Acuff, welcome to Mentally Stronger. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. It's great to see you as well. I'm so excited that you wrote a book called All It Takes is a Goal. Oh, thanks. I think a lot of people uh, would like to have a goal. Maybe they've set goals and it hasn't worked and they've struggled with it. And since we're coming into New Year's resolution season, I thought maybe you could dive into why. Why do we all set New Year's resolutions and why do they almost never work? Oh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I think there's a cultural wave in January. Like I've tried to sell New Year's resolution, like goal kind of stuff in July does not sell. Um, you don't sell like heart-shaped boxes of chocolate in July either. Go figure. So I think there's a lot of cultural pressure to do a New Year's resolution. We're like, we're doing it. Everybody's talking about it. So I think that's why we feel that the chance to, I think the calendar's powerful. It's that new year, uh, you know, kind of a fresh start. And then why they fail, I think there's a lot of reasons. One is they're not the right goals to begin with. So we, you know, we read a, a blog post, we listened to a podcast, and was like, I should do these 10 things, but we really only want to do one of them. And so we've got nine fake goals that are going to choke out the real goal. Um, sometimes we overreach. So we go, I know I should go big or go home. So I've never run. I should sign up for an Ironman and that'll... I'll magically figure out how to cross the chasm between never running and the Ironman. Um, sometimes they fail because we don't have community. So uh, it's hard. You know, we're the only one in our little circle that has goals and we feel weird. And so we don't nobody's encouraging us. Um, and then some of it is we just don't know how to how to do the steps like that. There's steps and there's a way that's easier and there's ways that are hard and we only know the hard ways. And so then we get back to the middle and we go, man, this was really challenging, and we and we quit it again. So I think there's a yeah, I think there's probably a hundred reasons people. I think so too. And as a therapist, one of the things sometimes people will tell me is, I set a resolution because I did so much damage from Thanksgiving to December, where I like <laughs> quit doing all of the healthy habits. Yeah. So like it's January, so now I want to get back back to I'll all fix of those it. things I'll again. I'll fix it with that. Yeah. Right, right. And then of course we know if you go to the gym in January, it's going to be crowded the first week. And then by January 18th, I believe statistically there's nobody there again because yeah, so Strava people... studies that. Strava studied that that it's Quitters Day. Yeah, and part of that is I think I think we shouldn't set year long resolutions. We should set short tests. Like I tell people that all the time. Like, what if you tried a seven day thing? Like to see if you even like it. What if you tried a month long thing to see if you even like it? What if we broke it down in small ways? 
um, versus going, this is my new year resolution. Like I've never done this. I'm going to do this for 365 days. There's this weird sense of optimism too. Like I did this the other day and I caught myself. I read a book where this guy was like, there's this, you know, president who used to write 10 thank you notes a day. And he said, that was a secret to his success. And I was like, I'm doing it. I'm going to write 10 a day. And so I wrote the first one and I was like, I'm doing it. I had written one and I said, next year, I'm going to write 10 a day. So I tried to go from one to 3,650. And then I was like, wait a second, what am I, what am I even doing right now? Like I write about goals. This is doomed for failure. So I think sometimes in our optimism, that's the other thing is like, we think, okay, I'm going to try this at an extreme way. And then the other thing I think that caused them to fail, and you'd probably see this as a therapist is if you try to fix a problem with a goal, there's a lot of shame there where I'm more mm. like, let's, let's open a gift. Like, I think you have a, like, look at a goal as a gift you get to open versus I have to fix a broken me. And I'm much more like, no, what if you've got a bunch of gifts you just haven't opened yet? That would be fun to explore. Like maybe you're a runner and you don't know, like, what if we explored that a little bit versus I'm out of shape and have to fix that part of my personality by doing an activity I don't love. And then you go, it's so weird. I didn't do it. I had a friend say that to me. He said, I realized running was the most efficient exercise for me, but it doesn't matter how efficient it is if I hate doing it because I'll never do it. So it doesn't matter if kale is the best thing for you. If you hate kale, you're not going to eat it. So some of that is finding something you actually enjoy doing and being okay to enjoy it, like to, to actually have fun with it. Ah, I like what you said there too about the shame. Because how often have we all done that? You're mad about something that you do. You don't like a certain part of you. So you come up with a goal. And then when it's not working, it's just reinforcing the the belief that you had of I'm not good enough or I can't do this. Yeah. So you are a failure. Like then, and often we, I would say we overcomplicate things that are already complicated and difficult. So I say that to people because I, because I write books, people say, I want to write a book. And I go, why do you want to write? And it'll be like, because I've always wanted to, I've got to prove to my family that I've chosen a good career path. And I'm like, that's a lot of pressure on a book. Like a book's already hard. That's a ton of pressure. So imagine if you say, if I lose weight, I'll be happy. So your happiness is now like, it's hard to lose weight already. And now there's even more pressure. So I'm, I guess one of the ways I try to be counterintuitive is like, how do we make this easier? Like, how do we you know, so one of my goals that I did was I wanted to be a better friend, but that's too fuzzy. It's too like, it's too holistic. Like I can't operate against that. So I was like, what does that mean? Cause I was lonely from the pandemic. I felt isolated. So I was like, I'm going to encourage one friend every day for a month. And I was tempted to make it hard. I'll write them a letter that adds complication. Now I have to find 30 friends addresses. Now I have to find stamps and envelopes. And so I just said, I'm going to text them. So I made it easier too. So I'm a big believer in going, how do you make something new you're starting as easy as possible to ensure you'll actually continue it? If you want to complicate it later, let's go for it. But let's not make something that's already going to be difficult for you even more difficult by adding a lot of money, a lot of complications, a lot of time. Like, let's do it in small ways. And the thing that you just said, too, about making it something a little that's not so fuzzy, right? If you have a measurable goal, like yeah. instead of I want a beach body, I'm going to go to the gym for three times a week for 20 minutes is yeah. a much easier goal to see if you're, if you're meeting it. So if we can set goals where we know what's, what is the actual finish line or what's the goal that I'm trying to do? And at the end of the week, did I make any progress toward that goal or not? Well, and you can, I always tell people like, I'm the CEO of my actions, not the CEO of my outcomes. So That's I good. can't, I can't control it going exactly the way I want it to go. And when I try that, it's infuriating. So like a tactical way I think about that is, 
I can plan my year at about 50% accuracy. It's really fuzzy. The further out I get, it's really fuzzy. I can plan like the next quarter at like 70% accuracy. I can plan the next month at like, you know, like 80. Like tomorrow I can plan with about 90% accuracy. There's going to be some surprises, but I think where people get stuck is when they try to plan the year with 90% accuracy and then fear comes in, you're a control freak. It's not going to work that way. And so I really go, what are the actions I can do? So you're right. I can't guarantee my body will look a certain way. Like I'm getting closer to 50. Like your body's just different. Like it, it would be insane if I was like, I want to be in the shape I was in when I was 18. And I'm just going to, if I have the will, if I believe in myself, like, no, but what I can control is running two times a week and doing CrossFit three times a week. That's measurable. And if I'm faithful to the actions, I get the outcomes a lot of the time. But if I over-focus on the outcomes, man, I try to take shortcuts. Uh, my expectations are disappointing. I'm frustrated. I compare myself to other people who are getting the, the outcomes. And so the more I can focus on actions, the easier it is for me. And how many goals do you think we can reasonably work on at the same time? Do you think we should just pick like a fitness goal and make that our thing? Or can we work on friendship goals and business goals and yeah. financial goals and all of these things? Yeah, I get that question all the time. And people want me to say 4.8. Or they want me to say right, like right. 7.9, you know, like it's kind of like I'm, I guarantee as a therapist, you get a lot of people that are like, how long until I won't feel sad questions? And you're like 11 days, right. 11 days from now, sunshine, whatever. And so I always say, do as many as you can do. And what I mean by that is determine your threshold. So I'm not a huge believer in the one goal thing because I don't think anybody has a one goal life. Like I think that everybody has friends. I hope everybody has friends or, or connections like for me, like, imagine if I said I'm only going to focus on my business and then I told my wife and my kids and my health and my, you know, my intelligence and all these other things, I'm just locked in. I'm locked in on this goal. We've all, it's kind of like the joke I always think about is like, don't skip leg day, bro. Like, you don't want to have your goal so, like, imagine if you knew somebody who only worked on triceps. Like, that was the only body part. And they're like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm a tricep guy. Like, and when you saw him, he had the most defined <laughs> or she had the most defined triceps, but like was really overweight. You'd be like, hey man, I don't, perfect balance is impossible, but maybe some other stuff. And so I always say like, start with a couple. Like, and the reason I say couple is if you say pick one, it triggers perfectionism. So if I say to you, okay, Amy, and here's the problem. I spent years teaching the wrong thing. And here's what I mean. I used to teach people how to dream up more goals. And that was the wrong thing to teach because I finally one day stopped and said, I wonder how many goals the people that listen to my stuff have before they even dream more. And the average person had 22.8. So they were already overwhelmed. And then I would go, hey, you know how you feel overwhelmed? What if you could feel more overwhelmed? Let's brainstorm 100 new goals. So very few people who engage with my content need help coming up with more. What they need help is prioritizing. So I've learned if I tell you, though, you got 22 goals, which is like trying to juggle 22 balls at the same time, it's impossible. But if I say you have 22 goals, just pick one. Boy, does that trigger perfectionism right out of the gate because then it's like I have to pick the one, like a soulmate goal. Like there's too much pressure. So I always say like pick, pick one, two, three. I think a fitness goal is always a good starter because – Fitness is one of those things that always bleeds into other parts of your life. Like if you start getting endorphins and start feeling in shape, it, it impacts finances and your marriage and all these other things. But I always say like two or three is a good starter number. Do you want to get high quality meat delivered straight to your house? Or in my case, a sailboat? Try ButcherBox. It saves me time and money. 
And if you order right now, Mentally Stronger listeners can get steak, chicken, or salmon free in every single order for an entire year. I love that ButcherBox offers grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood. There are no antibiotics or added hormones. They even offer vegetarian options. ButcherBox lets you decide how often you want deliveries, and you can pick a curated plan, or you could completely customize your box. Sign up at butcherbox.com stronger and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer, plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com stronger and use code STRONGER to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. So that makes sense then, because otherwise I could see you get easily overwhelmed when you think, I should write a book, and I should figure out my finances, and I should have better friendships, and I should be doing all of these things, and then you don't know where to start, and then you don't start on anything. Yeah, and you feel overwhelmed, or you just do a lot of C-minuses. Like, you have a lot of, like, so for me, you and I do, like, we have a weird job. Like, you're actually a therapist, but you write books, and you speak, and you do a lot of the stuff I do, and there's always people that'll go, well, you should do blank. Like, why yeah. don't you have a huge, like do a huge YouTube channel. They're easy. And you're like, I don't think that's true. Like, I think a good one's really difficult. Or they go, Amy, you're leaving money on the table. That's a phrase people tell you and I, as if like there's this magic switch and then there's a passive income that just shows up from your stickers you sell or whatever is the product. And so what I've learned, the longer I've done this, the more I have to be diligent and disciplined about saying no to things that are outside of what I'm good at are outside of what I'm curious about, outside of what's going to be helpful for my audience. Because there's a lot of things I could maybe do a C-minus job at, but there's a hand, there's only a handful of things I can really do with excellence. And anytime I dilute that, it's often because I'm hiding from the thing I'm scared of. So it's, it's hard for me to write books. Like, it just is. And so I know when I overfill my schedule, that's me hiding from the book. And I'm doing a bunch of things that feel productive that aren't productive. And I get to then go, instead of admitting I'm afraid of the book, I get to go, man, I I would have written today. I had a busy schedule. I get to blame the schedule. I'm a victim of my own calendar at that point. And then like, it's not my fault. Like I'm just, and so I'm learning to really figure out how to be more deliberate about that. Oh, that's an interesting point too, that we sometimes almost sabotage ourselves in weird ways, right? So we don't have to yeah. It's not that I didn't want to do that. I I would have. I would have crushed have. that. I would have right. crushed that. Like, and I, you know, I meet where, here's an example of that. I'll meet people that'll go, I'd love to start my own thing, like a side hustle, but I've got young kids and I don't want to be a distant mom or whatever. And it's such an interesting way to blame your kids for not doing the thing versus going, let me test it. Like, I don't want to, I think anytime you get into either or thinking you should pause and go, wait a second, is that right? Like you only have two options not do the thing or become a mom who never sees their kids. Those are the only, like, there's no middle of like, no, I'm going to grow a business and they're going to get to see me do it. They might even be involved in it. We're going to get to do some stuff together. So that's what, that's one of those, like, if you're in either or thinking like pause and say, is there a middle? Like maybe there is. Yeah. And when it comes to time, you talk a lot in the book about time and how we'll convince ourselves we don't have it. And I'd like your example of the airplane and how much time we have if you take a lot of flights and you don't even realize that you have, what is it, 30 minutes before the flight takes off? Yeah, 30 minutes on average. Yeah. So I started to get curious about this concept of hidden time. Like 
where is there more time than we think? And, and some of it's like, I looked at my screen time one day and I'd spent 12 hours on Instagram last week and I couldn't have told, like it produced nothing. Like it definitely didn't produce a good feeling. I didn't walk away going, anytime I scroll for two hours, I feel refreshed and renewed. This is therapeutic. Like, no, I always feel like, ugh. And so I started to go, where are there pockets of time? Because I found myself telling people, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. And I, I probably took, I don't know, 100 flights that year. And so on one flight, the minute I sat down, I set my timer to see how long it took us to actually leave. And, it, and I did that for like 20 times. And it was on average 31 minutes. And I thought, if I fly 100 times, that's 50 hours. That's more than a whole work week of time. So now I plan it. Now I go, when I sit down on this flight, I'm going to read this. I'm going to do this. like, And I'm going to take... And I should have known that. Like, Amy, have you ever learned something a second time, like 10 hours later, 10 years later? And you're like, oh, why did I learn? Like, I forgot. So when I started trying to change my career, I had a full-time job in Atlanta and I wanted to be a speaker. I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't have time. I had two kids on age four, side hustle clients, all this stuff. And so I started to give speeches as I drove to work. I would practice my speech out loud in the car in my 40-minute Atlanta commute every day on the way to work. And I got better at the speech. Like I gave that steering wheel so, that steering wheel was so motivated. <laughs> I really hyped up that steering wheel. But it was one of those, and so in the book, my favorite example, there's a woman named Susan, Robert, Susan Robertson who got her, her uh, degree in the car rider pickup line picking up her kids. She just took 20 minutes, 15 minutes and watched a video clip of a, of a professor, did a little homework, like she stacked it up. And that's what I think is fun is when you find some of that hidden time. And you mentioned time. I, the phrase I think about is that it's our most uh, valuable resource, but it's our most vulnerable. Like time can't protect itself. Only you can protect it. It only knows how to do one thing, which is flow. And so once I started to be like, oh, no, I, I need to protect it as the resource it is. How do I do that? And you're right, because I think a lot of times we don't look at what we're giving up to do something. So somebody might say, all right, I'm going to focus on my health. So I'm going to walk for 30 minutes a day. But what do you have to give up to walk 30 minutes? And when people don't realize, well, that means I have to give up my TV show in the evening or maybe time with my family and realize, OK, I'm, I'm going to give that up. But that's OK. And here's why. Yeah, I think one of the things I say is do, do less of what you like and more of what you love. So I like Netflix. Like I do. Like I sometimes will say like it's, you know, it's taking up so much time or whatever. I like it. But I love holding a book I've written in my hand. Like I love, you've had that feeling, Amy, where like you get a foreign edition of your book. And it, it's always a surprise to a degree because often right. you don't know it's coming. Sometimes you see it online and you don't even have a, like that happens. You're like somebody in Russia is reading a version. And you're like, I haven't even seen that cover. It's crazy. I love that feeling. I only like Netflix. So the more I can make decisions where I look and go, I like you, Netflix. I do. But you don't fill me up like this other thing. And I love this other thing. So I'm going to do this other thing. That, And I think the challenge is, Amy, there's so many really amazing distractions right now. Like you have to like release some of the pressure. You're up against 100,000 of the smartest doctors, statisticians, data scientists who have ever lived, who are very good at your time. Their goal is your time. Like, and, and that's their business model. And that's, that's okay. But you shouldn't beat yourself up and go, I don't know why it's so hard for me to focus. I, I know, like, I know you're up against impossible odds and you just haven't recognized it yet. And once you recognize it, it becomes a little bit of a game. You start to go, okay, I can do this. Like, I think it changes. Um, and that's, what's fun about time to me. So how do you write a book? Writing a book is like cool sometimes. And there's moments. Ah, I think, it's horrible. Just, other times. 
painful, <laughs> right? <laughs> Where you yeah. would love to do anything but just sit down oh, and write. Yeah. How do you stay motivated to get through the whole book? Well, I mean, for me, it's a process. So like I, I wrote a book called Soundtracks about repetitive thoughts. So like one of my positive soundtracks is three pages is plenty. Three pages is plenty. Because I have a broken soundtrack that would go, you should finish the book. And every day I didn't finish the book, I felt like a failure. Imagine if I only had one goal and it was finish the book. I'd feel like a failure 364 days of the year. I'd only feel good one day. So I had to go, no, no, no. Three pages is plenty. Three pages is plenty. Another one is I have a post-it note on my wall that says it's just a book. When I'm writing it, I have a note that says it's just a book. Because again, I'm tempted to go, this is, I'm like, writers are so dramatic. We say things like, writing is easy. All you have to do is open up a vein and bleed on the page. Like, okay. Like, right. what? No wonder it's hard. So I have a note, a post-it note that says it's just a book. Because I need to remember like, no, 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 it's going to be okay. Now I take it down when it's time to promote it because I need to be all in and excited about it. So I use a lot of little things like that. And then I had a wall chart where I tracked the hours. And I was like, this is about putting in the hours because if I'm dedicated to the hours, the book will come. If I put in the hours, the book will come. So I just made it a game. Like, okay, the book's going to come. And then I have deadlines and I have, you have people too that you have, you've made agreements to. I want to keep my word. So I have editors and all these people that I want to be accountable to. So I'm not isolated. Um, and then, um, like, I heard Joni Mitchell, the, the musician, say that she crop rotates, which I thought was really interesting. And she said, I, when I get stuck songwriting, I go paint. Or when I get stuck painting, I go do something else. And she, like, rotates the crops like a farmer. And I was like, oh, so it's okay some days for me to go, I'm stuck here on this passage. I'm going to go come up with good subtitles because that's a different part of my brain versus like a chapter. I'm going to come up with, you know, um, and so I, I do that a lot. Um, and, and then like I, for, I read a book called ADHD 2.0 and it said you have to find the right kind of difficult for you. Like what's your right kind of difficult? And I love, and a book for me is the right kind of difficult. I need a big project. It calls out my best creativity. So I also remember like, no, this is really feeding me too. It's like, there's a lot of days where I, like it's hard um, and it's challenging, but there's a lot of days where I go, I can't believe I got to do this. Um, and this is the part I can control. That's the other thing. I don't control the sales. That's the hard part. Right. Is that like, you don't, you don't like you at that. And you can do everything you can possibly do. And you don't control that. That's the hard part for me. Um, it, but I do control the writing part to a degree, like staying, um, inspired, staying dedicated. So I know if I do a thousand hours of dedicated work, like it's almost impossible for a book not to be at the end of that. So then when you're in a part of your, I guess, year where you're writing a book, do you write one? Is it about every year you've been coming out? With I try to do one uh, every year, just that, you know, yeah. and usually they're so the way they're released, I'll write it for two years and then it'll release. But one's coming out usually every year. So then when you are writing a book, do some of your other goals kind of go by the wayside? How do you manage your time? Obviously, yeah, of course, yeah. dude. Like, so I'll give you an example. Like the frustrating thing for me is I, I have a fairly clear sense of what it would take to have a massive podcast. Like I have a sense of that. I don't control like going viral by any means, but I know if I spent 30 hours a week doing the podcast, it, you know, some good stuff would happen. I don't have 30 hours a week for a podcast. I just don't. So I do the best podcast I have with the time it deserves. And I have to release that. Here's one of the lies about, in my opinion, about goals and performance. People say, how you do anything is how you do everything. That is not true at all, dude. I phone in stuff on certain projects because that's what it deserves. Like, 
I don't, I treat my kids differently than neighborhood kids. Like if I see a neighborhood kid, like I don't go like, Hey, I want to have a heart to heart. And cause how I do anything is how I do everything. Like, and it's the same with certain projects. So the hard part to me is going in a, like, there's a couple things that get a plus, a plus, a plus, a plus, a plus effort. So speeches, like I put everything I have in speeches book, same thing. Um, but podcasts, like I like my podcast, but I would be lying to you if I was like, man, I can see the arc. I have a six you know, month arc I'm working on and we've already got the guests lined up and we're chopping it up to a thousand. Like I quit YouTube because I was like, I YouTube for me, cause everybody's like, you should do it. You should do it. And maybe I will in the future. I wasn't good at it. Um, I didn't like doing it and it didn't make money. And that's a trifecta in my opinion of something you shouldn't do. Because it's one thing if you're not good at it, but you love it, because then the passion will help you get better at it. It's another thing if you're not good at it, you don't like it, and it doesn't make money. Like That is the definition of a time suck. So there's just things that I, I either go, I'm not doing that at all, or this is going to be a B, B minus, and that's all right. Yeah. And maybe it'll change, but look, for now, it's a B minus. I like that. Giving yourself permission to say, this is not the number one goal on my list, and it's okay if I don't hit a home run over here. Yeah. It's not easy. It's again, it's not easy because you want things to be excellent. And I, again, I try to make it as excellent as I can with the time I get. But if, if I have a book due, I need to go, like, I learned this lesson actually um, from a boss of mine. I used to work at Home Depot. I was in the advertising department and I had two projects due. One was a postcard for a rug sale. And one was like a 96 page catalog that was going to change like our branding for the next year. And I was coming up with so many brilliant headlines for the rug sale. And my boss came over to me and he was like, Hey, no offense. Um, as soon as that leaves the building, no one's going to remember it. The headline is buy one, get one 50% off this Memorial day. End of story. Finish it. This other thing, every executive is going to read and study and critique and pick apart. This is where your attention belongs. But I was like, no, I got to come up with a bunch of, so I try to remember like, some things are postcards that you need to say the words and then get it out the door. And that's okay. And then what do you think about making a goal, say like a priority for a really short period of time? I'll give you the example. I came up with the idea. I was like, you know, I'm going to see if I can get six pack abs in 30 days to this challenge. It was, Oh, that's great. It was insane, but it was like, it came at a price, right? I couldn't really like do a lot of the things I wanted to do because for 30 days I was just motivated to do this thing. But now I find, all right, so fitness is much lower on the list. It's not number one anymore, but it's easy to maintain because I spent one month really focusing on saying like, how do I get in really good shape? And now I can make it drop to like number four on the list and I don't have to keep it at the very top. What do you think about that strategy? I love that. I So my thing is, I don't care as long as it works. So yeah. if you told, like, if you told me and on the back half, I hated fitness and I never did it again. So I think people can take things past joy into compulsion yep. and go like, and my, like I've never run a marathon and I think marathons are probably amazing because I'm a pretty compulsive person. And my wife is always like, Hey, if you like do half marathons, that's great. The training fits your schedule, do that. But I think if you go down that path, it'll be really hard for you to stop. So I just don't open that door for other people. They don't have that. So don't hear that as me saying, Oh, if you do marathons, you're compulsive. Not at all. Like, I don't know you. You might, that might be perfect for your personality. For me, there's certain things I don't even open the door on. So if you told me I tried this and it burned me out and I never did fitness again, I'd go, that's probably not, a, that wasn't a great path for you. 
But what you just said was like, and now it's easy to maintain. I learned a ton. I've, I've moved it to four. I didn't get rid of it. So yeah, I would say my version of that would be like, when I was trying to establish that I could be a speaker, if somebody said, hey, we have a microphone and it's a room and I, we won't tell you who's going to be there and it's across the country and we'll give you a nickel. I was like, I'm there because right. I was trying to front load. I had to do the number of reps to get to the place I wanted to get. Now I'm more selective. Now I go, I do 40 to 50. These are the type of clients. These are the type of events because I'm in that stage of my career. I'm not in the, like, I have to do a, a thousand a, a year to get it done. So I love the idea of front loading something, getting it to a place that you like. And then going, okay, this is in a good spot. Now I'm going to do some other things. And then also remember, Amy, like for me anyway, life changes. I always tell people, you should ask the person giving you advice, especially if they're online. Are you married? Do you have kids? How many kids? What are their ages? Because the information changes. Mm -hmm. And so I try to be upfront and go, I got an 18-year-old and a 20-year-old. So if I wanted to write for four hours on a Saturday, I could just do that. Because one's in college and one's going to be with their friends. If I had a two, when, when I had a two-year-old and a four-year-old, if I said to my wife, like, hey, I'm just going to, I'm just really feeling creative. So I'm just going to spend four hours exploring adjectives that she'd be like, no, like we have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Like, what are you talking about? So I think that's the other thing you have to realize is your goals go through seasons. And I think when you can kind of be flexible that way, it's a lot more fun. All right. Then last question for you. What about mistakes? We set out to say, yeah, I'm going to work on this goal. And then by day three, it kind of goes out the window. You miss a day or two. How do you recover from that? Yeah. So one, one way you recover is you, you give yourself a short time frame. So people sometimes go, they won't start because they're afraid to pick the wrong goal. And the fear there is I spent a month trying this and I look up and I hated it, or I spent a year trying this and I look up and it doesn't happen. So remove that. Try it for seven days. Do a seven-day test, you know, half an hour a day. If you look up three and a half hours in, you go, I hated that. No big deal. You learned you didn't like it. You probably learned something else about yourself. Move on to the next one. You haven't overcommitted. Like, don't be afraid to speed date a goal. Like, it's not like you're every goal you're getting married to. So that's the first thing I'd say. And then I, I wrote about this in this book, Finish. Be prepared for the day after perfect. Like that the day after perfect, you think it's going to be perfect. You miss a day and then it's the day after. What are you going to do? The longer I've pursued goals, the more I've realized that my ability to quickly forgive myself means I continue the goal. My The real win for me is sustainable success. It's not perfection. I've never once gone 365 for 365. That's just not how I'm wired. So I'll give you an example of that. I started measuring wisdom hours. I was really curious about, I want to get smarter. I'm going to focus on wisdom. And so I have a timer on my phone. And so I have an hour and I start the timer and I'd read, I'd write, whatever. And sometimes I get interrupted, say there's a phone call and I'd, I'd forget to pause the timer and it would go all the way to zero. And I'd go, wait, did I do 40, 40 minutes? Did I do 37? And I learned to go, it doesn't matter. In a whole year, you're going to be five to five to 10% off anyway. So go ahead and accept that. And if you say, I'm going to try to do a thousand hours of wisdom, a 10% error rate is 100 hours of freedom. So I go, hey, like, all right. And so it reminds me, like, I have a friend named Jenny Urich who you would love. She did this book called, um, she has this movement called A Thousand Hours Outside. She's brilliant. She started this amazing movement. And I talked to her the other day and she said, people tell me, because her whole thing is trying to get you and your kids to spend a thousand hours outside in a year. And it's blown up. 
And she said, people will email me and say, it's the best challenge I've ever failed. And she said, I only spent 300, I only spent 300 hours outside, but man, it was 300 more than zero last year. And they were our best 300. So they failed it, quote unquote, by 700 hours, but they were still grateful because of the 300 hours. So if you can have that opinion of it, man, you get long-term sustainable, not beat yourself up goals. Like not, I, I wrote about that today. Like who's cracking the whip, the whip right now? Like who, who is driving me past where it's enjoyable? Like it's not my wife. My wife's not like, Hey, we're about to lose the farm. You got to do more. You got to like, it's not like my parents aren't like that. It's not my kids. You know, I don't have a boss. Like, Oh wait, it's me. Like, okay, well, why am I doing that? Like, how can I add more forgiveness, more space, more margin, whatever? Cause then I'll continue it long-term and then I'll get more books. I like that idea of giving yourself some grace. Remember that 75 day hard, like hard challenge. Oh yeah. If you, if you fail once, <laughs> you have to start over. Yeah. People were struggling yeah. with their mental health, having these mental health crises. Cause they would get to like day 30 and then have to keep starting over again. For what? It right. wasn't your job. Like, that's the thing you have to go. It's like, I, you know, my wife will call me out on that. She'll be like, you're gulping water right now in an uncomfortable way. It's like 10 PM. And I'm like, I got to finish my water goal. And she's like, who do you work for? Like, who is, are you getting fired tomorrow by the water commission? Or is this a pleasurable goal you've now ruined? And I'm like, ah. So I think, yeah, I think there's been a lot of people that love that particular goal. For me, like, I think you should always test goals on for size and you should always kind of like accommodate them to you. Like accommodate them to you. That goal, okay, so that goal is the reason why, and I didn't do the 75 hard. But I was like, I'm going to drink a gallon of water a day. And so I tried that for like two weeks. I hated it. Uh -huh. I hated it. And like I, my nightmare was I'm going to be on stage. I'm going to have to go use the bathroom. Like flights were the worst. Like all I did was watch the light to see if somebody was empty. And so I realized like the dude who does that is like 250 pounds. I weigh 150. <laughs> There's a chance he and I's body have different water needs. But like we have somebody online that goes, you should do this. Right. And we never stop and go. What's my version? What's my version of that? Like, cause guess who, like one of the phrases I say is I'm the CEO of me and I'm the best boss. I'm the CEO of me and I'm the best boss. So like the goal isn't my CEO, like I'm the CEO. So I'm going to commit to the goal, but I'm not going to let like, I, last thing I'll say, and it's never the last thing. Cause I love talking about this topic. A woman that I worked with was like, Hey, my goal was 10,000 steps every day. She had a Fitbit. It's a great goal. 10,000 steps every day. She said, I realized like there were always days where I couldn't do it. Like for whatever reason, a Tuesday was busy. I'd miss a flight and I'd whatever. And she said, I decided to have an average goal. So 70,000 steps in a week. And she said, and that gave me such creativity and such freedom. Cause then if Thursday is funky, I can do 15,000 on a Saturday. I go for a long walk with a friend. And like the alternative is like my life, I get delayed on a flight and I land at 2 a.m. Or I have to stay in the wrong city. I don't even have my stuff with me. What am I going to do, Amy? Like walk in the airport 8,000 steps like a lunatic in work shoes and like my feet will be blistered and I'll be like, I won't be able to walk for the next week. But like I did the steps like Fitbit's happy. At, like, what are you even talking? That's crazy. So I think you should always be like, have I run past joy and success and performance? And I'm now beating myself up for no reason, for no victory, for nobody even noticing just to say I did a thing like to who, like who is gonna, like, who am I performing for right now? It should really just be the goal that's going to fill you up.
Oh, and that's what I loved about your book is you're reasonable oh, about so many things. You make it fun. Yeah. And, you know, I think a book about goals has the potential to either be uh, a lot of just motivation, inspirational stuff, fluff. Yeah. You got to believe in yourself. The right. universe is going to help you. Or, yeah. you know, the really dry stuff, but you made it really fun and actionable. So thank you for writing it. And I hope I appreciate that. I hope that all of our listeners go get a copy. As I do, I share that hope as well, Amy. Let's go. Babies in <laughs> <All right>. shoes. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on Mentally Stronger, John. Yeah, thanks for having me. Welcome to The Therapist Take. It's the part of the show where, where I'll break down John's mental strength strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. He shared so many great tips, but it's tough to pick my favorites. Here are three of his strategies that I highly recommend. Number one. Create a goal that's measurable and achievable. It's tempting sometimes to set goals like, I want to be healthier or I want to be happier, but you can't measure those things. So set a goal that you can actually measure, like, I'll walk for 20 minutes three times a week, or I'm going to schedule something fun to do every single week. Focus on what's within your control too. Instead of setting out to write a best-selling book, Make your goal to write a book and spend one hour a week marketing it because you can't control how many people buy it. Number two, focus on sustainable success. Sometimes we set goals really high and then we burn out quickly because the momentum we had the first week isn't sustainable. So I love that John talked about focusing on sustainable success. Create reasonable goals and adjust those goals as needed. There will always be unexpected challenges that make it tough to work on a goal. Give yourself grace when those things happen and decide how to move forward without expecting perfection. And number three, shift your priorities as needed. John talks about finding time to work on things. And in his book, he's got a whole chapter called Calendar Heist where he shows you how to find time in your day so that you can squeeze in things that help you work toward a goal. So instead of being on social media for 10 minutes here and 10 minutes there, what if you use that time to write? You could write a whole book. And he talks a lot about the importance of saying no to certain things so that he can focus on what's most important. It's so easy to get distracted and fall into the trap of thinking that you should be doing more. But every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. So it's important to stay on track and shift your priorities as needed. So those are three of John's strategies you can start using today to create a goal that could change your life. Start with a measurable and achievable goal. Focus on sustainable success and shift your priorities as needed. To hear more of John's tips, go check out his book. All it takes is a goal. Thank you for hanging out with me today and for listening to the Mentally Stronger podcast. If you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. That's one of the best ways to help us get our show in front of other people so we can keep making the world a stronger place. And if you want more tips on building mental strength, subscribe to Mentally Stronger Premium. You'll get weekly bonus episodes where I answer your questions about everything from relationship problems and addictions to family dilemmas and mental health issues. You'll also get to join our private community where you can get support for building mental strength 
and I'll give you lots of exclusives for being a premium subscriber. Sign up at mentallystronger.supercast.com or just click on the link in the show notes. And if you know somebody who could benefit from learning more about mental strength, share this show with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help someone feel better and grow stronger. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, who crushes some pretty big goals, Nick Valentine. <laughs>